chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. We're finishing our series called Our Family. We've been in this for seven weeks. And so we finish that series today, and when we turn the calendar to June next Sunday, we will start a brand new series coming from the Gospels, and we'll let you know what that is next week. But plan to be a part of that new series as well starting next Sunday. But this Sunday, we finish our series called Our Family, and we're going to call our lesson today, Never Leaving You, Never Leaving You from Hebrews chapter 8. Before we get to our text, of course, I like to do these at the beginning. I like to ask you a question and then follow up with, I've been doing a lot of top tens lately. And we're going to do another top ten today. But did you ever act like a bad friend? <laughs> did you ever act like a bad friend? I'm going to give you my top ten ways to get dumped by your best friend. Top ten ways to get dumped by your best friend. Hopefully this has never happened to you. And hopefully it never will. But sometimes we make even our best friends angry with us. Isn't it true? Here's top 10 ways you want your best friend to break up with you. Here's how you should do it. Number 10 is forget their birthday, but remember all the times they embarrass themselves. That's a way for your best friend to be mad at you. Forget their birthday and remember all the times they embarrass themselves. How about number nine? Ooh, this one's rough. Steal their girlfriend or boyfriend and then marry them. That's pretty rough. If you want to lose a best friend, that's probably number one. That should be number one way to lose your best friend. How about number eight? Hang out with your mutual friends behind their back. Um, if you want to keep your best friend, let, let your best friend know when you're hanging out with your group of friends. Don't let them find that out behind your back. How about this one? Number seven is tell them they're a bad driver and that you, they need to pull over because you're nauseated. Now that might sound very specific, but I actually did that to my friend once. If you ever want a funny, funny story that I can't share in the pulpit, Come and speak to me because it is, it's sad and funny at the same time, but it's, it's really funny. Uh, number six is don't text or call them back when they know you're at home doing nothing all day. Best friends just have a way of knowing that you're doing nothing at home. So if you are, text them and call them back. They're your best friend. How about number five? Not waiting for them to watch your favorite show together and leaving them sev several episodes behind you. We have a thing that we call binge-watching today, and sometimes we'll watch shows with our friends, sometimes with our spouse, and I have to admit, sometimes I've cheated on my wife with a show we've been watching, and then I'll try to fake it. Like, I'll try to watch the episode with her just to make her feel good, and somehow she knows that I've cheated on her and watched that episode already. How about number four? Uh, this is more for women, probably. You guys will have to let me know if you've actually done this, but sharing your wardrobe with your best friend and then looking better in their clothes than they do. Anyone ever done that? Men don't usually do that. We don't really share wardrobes, but women might. Here's number three ways to get dumped by your best friend is laughing at a joke made at their expense and then laughing again when they get mad at you and then never stop laughing because you can't control yourself. That's a way to lose your best friend. I've also done that to one of my friends. Number two way to get dumped by your best friend is talk them into investing in your pyramid scheme. I actually had a friend try to do this once, try to talk me into his pyramid scheme. That is not a way to keep a best friend. If you want to fall for a pyramid scheme, do that by yourself. Number one, our silliest one, best ways to get dumped by your best friend is clog their toilet and don't tell them. And if you're going to clog their toilet, tell them, right? Ten, top ten ways to get dumped by your best friend. Hopefully you've never done this and will never do those things. But we have one more to transition us to our lesson, even if you can transition after such a thing. And this is our last one for today. This will transition us, is not loving them 
like they love you. Not loving them like they love you. Our lesson title today is called Never Leaving You from Hebrews chapter 8. If you're in your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 8, I'm going to read the entire chapter. We are not going to go through this traditionally like verse by verse. It's much too long. But we're going to use this passage today as the backdrop for our lesson today. So listen to the word of God from Hebrews chapter 8. The writer of Hebrews says, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy in the shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. I told you, this is our final lesson from our series, Our Family. It's been a seven-week-long series. I hope it's been a very immensely powerful and profound series for you. It has been for me. If you need to re-listen or refresh your mind on any of those, please go to our website, give them a re-listen, take some notes again, and do not commit the crime of forgetting what the Lord has taught us. We all need to remember and keep them fresh in our minds. So I hope that you would do that with me. Last week, we focused upon the one whose love motivates us to live for him instead of continuing to live selfishly for ourselves. That was Jesus. The love of Christ is the single greatest motivating force there is anywhere in all creation. The love of Christ. And today, we look at the love of Christ as it practically plays out in our two, excuse me, in our day-to-day -day lives. I hope this message today is going to be short and sweet for a couple reasons. We have our lunch following. We want to give everyone ample time to fellowship together. And I'm going to be honest, a study on the New Covenant would take an entire series to go through sometime. It's very long, it's very detailed, and it's very powerful. We are not possibly going to cover the New Covenant as it deserves today. We're hopefully going to give you a brief overview of the New Covenant but if we can at least understand the value of the new covenant, then we will be in good shape to keep our eyes on Jesus and to commit ourselves to his church. 
Now, there's two covenants mentioned in Scripture, okay? Two covenants. There's an old and there's a new. Two covenants mentioned in Scripture, two primary covenants. And I wanted to find the word covenant. I'm sure that's a word you've heard and maybe even used before, but it's not one of those words we use a lot. So I wanted to find the word covenant, and I'm actually going to give you my definition of the word covenant as I see through Scripture instead of the one that I found online. I didn't think that one was very good. So I sort of constructed my own definition of the word covenant that I can find through Scripture. And this is what the word covenant means. It's an agreement between God and his people founded on the love, holy character, and unbreakable promises of God. That's what we mean when we say the word covenant today. An agreement between God and his people founded on God's love, his holy character, and his unbreakable promises. And before we focus our attention upon the new covenant primarily, I want to look at a few similarities in these two covenants. There are similarities in the old covenant and the new covenant, and I just want to mention a few of these similarities. Number one is that both covenants came from God. Both were invented or authored by God, and both covenants are given to his people to point to God's love and his holiness. Both covenants, old and new, do that. Number two is both covenants are given to God's people to help them live correctly and eternally. Now, yes, as we're going to learn, the new covenant is much better than that than the old covenant is. But both covenants were given to help God's people live correctly upon the earth and to live eternally with him. Both covenants are based on God desiring the well-being of his people and the glory of his name. That's the goal of the covenants, is to for God to help his people long-term in their well-being and also to glorify his own name. Both covenants are needed because of mankind's propensity to chase after sinfulness instead of holiness. We need the covenants to help us live for holiness. And we'll learn that again today. And both covenants, finally, are undeserving for God's people to be a part of because of our inherent sinfulness. We don't deserve either covenant from God, either the old or the new. They are a part of God's grace. So there's a few similarities of the old and the new covenant. As a question, though, I want to ask this. It's a rhetorical question, but I want to answer it as well. Is if God is perfect, and he is, and his character never changes, and it doesn't, why was a new covenant even needed? Why wouldn't there be only one sufficient covenant? Why a new covenant? We're going to answer that question today. Why is there need for a new covenant? Did you ever recently get something brand new? I mean, think about it. If you want to shout it out, you can. Think about it. Did you get something new recently in your life, a possession or something? And the, the question is, if you did, why did you get that something new? Typically, when we buy something new, hopefully we're not just being covetous or selfish or greedy. Typically, it's because the old one is wearing out, right? The old one's becoming obsolete. Recently, my, my family had to get a new car. Now, it wasn't a brand new car, but it was a new car for our family because our old minivan was shutting down on us. Uh, things were breaking. It was rusting. It wasn't holding gas very well, and, and it was just breaking down. We had had it a long time, and so we had, to, we had to upgrade. We had to get a new car, a car that would suit us and our family, and so we did. Well, the question today is, why is there a new covenant? Why is there a new covenant? And I want to give you three answers that I find in Scripture 
for why there is a new covenant. Okay, number one is quite simple. Because God says so. Because God says so. And his thoughts and his ways are higher than ours. And sometimes we don't always understand why God does what he does. But if the scripture says it, believe it. Right? Even if you have trouble understanding it, if, the, if there is a fault in this relationship, it is not God's. It is ours. We are the sinful ones. We are the ones that are lower in our minds and our ways. God says there is a new covenant and there is a need for a new covenant. So I believe him. That's number one, doctrinally speaking. Number two, more practical, is the old covenant and its insufficiencies was actually given to us to help us see Jesus better. The old covenant was given to us so that Jesus would shine brighter. Isn't that interesting? That's an interesting strategy. Sometimes I will say to my children when it's time, we, when it's close to bed, we will typically do a Bible story before bed. And my kids aren't always in the proper spirit to want to do a Bible story. So sometimes I will say to them, all right, let's just go to bed then. And you know what generally happens with my children? No, we want to do a Bible story. Every one of them. Because they'd rather do a Bible study than go to bed. Now, that's not always encouraging for a dad. But, <laughs> but you can see the strategy sometimes I have with that. I'm contrasting going to bed with a Bible story. The old covenant was given to us for us to contrast it with the new covenant. That was important for God, so that Jesus would shine even brighter. So number three, the new covenant was always the point. It was always the point. It was always God's plan to give us this new covenant. But we needed help to appreciate it. And so the old covenant served us that way. It allows us to appreciate the new covenant, and we'll learn why that is here in a minute. So that is why we need a new covenant. Now let's look at, for the rest of our time, what is the new covenant? What is it? And I'm going to give you three important truths as I see them from Hebrews chapter 8. What is the new covenant? And why is it so important? Number one reason, the old covenant was the shadow of having intimacy with God. You guys know what a shadow is. It's a likeness, but it's not the reality, right? A shadow can be a likeness of a figure or a building or something like that, but it's not the reality of that something. Well, the Old Covenant was the shadow of having intimacy with God. And the New Covenant is the reality of having intimacy with God. I want you to imagine today someone important in your life. It could be anybody. It could be a friend, as we mentioned at the beginning. It could be a family member, a loved one, someone like that. I want you to imagine somebody very important in your life right now. Think about that person for a moment. Now, since we have a lot of great modern day technology, and we do, would you trade actual time and the sharing of actual experiences with that person you're thinking of for a 3D life-size figure of them in your room? As creepy as that sounds. Would you trade actual time and actual experiences for a 3D version of them? Or how about a weekly Zoom meeting with them? We all experienced Zoom this past year. It's annoying. But uh, would you share, would you trade time, actual time and actual experiences for a weekly Zoom meeting with that loved person? And that's kind of what we're talking about today, okay? This is the picture of the new covenant. God was not okay with us experiencing him from a distance. He did not want us to sort of know him. 
or sort of be with him. He wanted us to actually be with him and to actually know him. So the old covenant was like a shadow. It was like a shadow. It wasn't nothing. It wasn't worthless. But it was like a picture of God or a weekly Zoom meeting with God. It wasn't nearly enough. We needed true intimacy with God. See, God created us in his image. And he wanted us to have that real, true, authentic intimacy with him. And the Old Covenant didn't allow for it. Because it was created by God to be insufficient to bring sinners close to him. Our last song is, Draw Me Near. God wanted to draw us near, and we needed something better in order for that to happen. And God planned for this. He planned for this because we needed Jesus inside of us. Not just know about him. We needed Jesus to be inside of us. See, when Jesus came to this earth, he ushered in this new covenant of always being with his people in the direct first-hand sense. He was never going to ask his people again to experience him from a distance. He wanted us to have intimacy with our God forever. So after Jesus arose from the dead, if you remember this, he went back to heaven, didn't he? He ascended back into the sky, back to heaven. And I'm sure the disciples were thinking at that moment, well, here we go again. We're on our own, just like we were before Jesus came, back to square one, on our own, no Jesus, no God next to us. And this is where Jesus said something profound. He told his disciples, no, or nevertheless. He said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, I will send the helper to you. I will go from being next to you, which I am right now, to being inside of you. It will actually get better if I leave. I will send the helper, and the helper will come inside of you and help you from the inside out. And the helper he is referring to is the Holy Spirit. And since the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of God, it's also the Holy Spirit of Jesus. Jesus' Holy Spirit resides within Christians. That's a very powerful truth. I believe sometimes we think very mysteriously about the Holy Spirit. Like he's some shadowy, intangible person who helps us behind the scenes. He's everywhere and nowhere at the same time. But Jesus actually said this phrase. He said he wants to come and make his home with us. He wants to make his home with us. The presence of Jesus in the soul is real and profound. And if you know Jesus, you know that to be true. Every single week, we, we experience the profound presence of the Lord in our life. He guides us. He strengthens us. He disciplines us. He protects us. He helps us. And he loves us. Isn't that true? Every single day of every single year for the rest of my life. And if you do not know that real intimacy with the Lord, you most likely do not have a relationship with him yet. Because it's real. And you would know it. And therefore, you need to explore that today. Do you really know the presence and the intimacy of the Lord Jesus? Because you can have it. Because Jesus came to this earth so we would never have to experience absence from him ever again. Ever. We don't, know how, we don't have to know the Lord indirectly ever again. We can know him personally, intimately, and profoundly. And I hope you know that already. That is an amazing truth. An amazing truth. Now, yes, the experience we will one day share with Jesus in heaven 
is going to far outweigh the presence we have of them even now. That is also true. In heaven, things will even get better than it is right now, thankfully. But that doesn't change the fact that the Lord is near to us now in the new covenant that he made with his people. And we can bank our souls upon the Lord Jesus because we know he's real. I don't have to take his word for it that he's real. I experience him on a daily, profound, personal, intimate level in my life. And therefore, I can bank my soul upon Jesus because I know he's real. In fact, I'll even say this. I will attest that I know the Lord is real even know, even more than I know my own wife and children are real. When I go to work, I leave my wife and my children at home. And even though I know my wife is real, no one could tell me my wife isn't real or doesn't exist because of countless time and experiences with my wife. The Lord even more so. Even more so. Because he is always with me. Always loving me in ways too numerous to count. The new covenant with the Lord has changed my life. It's changed my life. I know the Lord Jesus even more than I know my own spouse. And God wanted us to have that true intimacy with him. And that's number one. He wanted us to know him personally, experientially, and intimately. Number two reason is what the new covenant is, is we can know the will of the Lord. We can know his will. One of the biggest deficiencies of the old covenant was that God's people learned his will very slowly and very inadequately. He gave them Ten Commandments. He gave them Moses. He gave them the prophets to help them understand his will. But for the most part, the people remained confused on what the Lord desired from their life. Now, this was not the Lord's fault, okay? But this is a constant stress between God and his people. He said, do these things, be this way, live for these things. And the people lived selfishly and started worshiping idols. God wanted holiness and they gave him everything but that. And it was not God's fault that that happened because the people didn't understand properly because every single piece of revelation and knowledge that God gives us about himself is undeserved. We don't deserve it. We were the sinful people. Every time God reveals to us something about his name or his will, it is called grace. Grace. It is a gift from God, a gift of love and mercy from our God. All of us, I hope you know this by now as well, all of us should have been condemned because of our sinfulness before God. And not only did he not condemn us, he gave us life, and he revealed to us his will so we could live correctly. Guys, that is what it's called amazing grace. He did not only condemn me, he gave me life and he helped me understand his will so I could live correctly. And if we really want to please the Lord, like in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, King David did. He really genuinely wanted to please the Lord. And therefore, God helped him do that. Because that's what God does. If that is your desire, he will help you live correctly. The children of Israel, unfortunately, did not want to please the Lord. Because if they really wanted to, the Lord would have helped them do so. They wanted to serve themselves, and they wanted God to be okay with that. So having their, having their eyes only slightly opened by the Lord, it wasn't enough to compensate for the Israelites' sinful, selfish desires and habits. So they remained ignorant, and they remained stubborn in their hearts. 
But in the new covenant, the Lord says that he writes his laws into our minds. The very nature of God and his will is etched onto our hearts so that our lives will be in harmony with God when we're obedient. And our lives will be a big train wreck when we're disobedient. And therefore, we can easily know when we are against God thanks to the enlightening of the new covenant. He basically turned the light on. You guys ever have one of those dim lights in your house that you eventually change with a new light bulb and it's so much brighter? I don't know if it's you grab one of those new LED bulbs or whatever, but we changed our light bulb recently and it went from very dim to very bright, almost too bright. I'm starting to see like imperfections in my face I never saw before going, oh, you know, it's too bright. I, like, the light bulb was turned on in my house in a way it wasn't before. And, and that's kind of what God has done with the new covenant. He turned the light on. And he said, I want you to see clearly. Not only that, but in the old covenant, you didn't, if you didn't hear from the Lord through Moses or the prophets, you didn't hear from him at all. This meant that divine revelation was few and far between for God's people. If they missed or misunderstood the prophecy, they missed everything. And they stayed in the dark. But in the New Covenant, we have a plethora, don't you love that word? We have a plethora of gifted Bible teachers available to us, don't we? Literally thousands of good Bible teachers are out there. Yes, there's also a plethora of false teachers, so you need to be careful. But there are so many gifted Bible teachers that God has given to us in the New Covenant. And the children of Israel did not have that advantage. They didn't. So this means that today, nobody should be ignorant about God's will unless they choose to be. You don't have to remain in the dark if you don't want to be in the dark. If you want to know God and his will, he will give it to you. He will show it to you. And hopefully today is part of that as well. The children of God have access to every blessing of God's truth. Every blessing. This means that the will of God can be crystal clear in the eyes of every single Christian. Those under the Old Covenant could not say this. The Lord wanted us to know his will. And that's number two. To be intimate with us and for us to know his will clearly, crystal clearly. Number three, we're going to spend the rest of our time on this, is what is the New Covenant? Number three is the Lord says he will never leave us. This is a powerful truth. The Lord says he will never leave us. Now, sure, the Lord is near us now, right? And he teaches us his will now. And he does it all through the blood of Jesus. This new covenant is established and founded upon Jesus Christ. All of this has come to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. Have we grasped that yet? It is all thanks to Jesus. If you miss anything, make sure it's not Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of this new covenant in our lives. And because Jesus died for us, we can be righteous in the eyes of God. Righteous in God's eyes, thanks to Jesus. And we can be intimate with our very creator. Guys, that's what exclamation points were invented for. I can be intimate with God and I can be righteous before his eyes, thanks to Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful to know? But here's a question. What if things changed in the future? What if that was a reality today, but not tomorrow? Did you know the three things we just gave you right there? 
can also apply to earthly marriage on the earth. Did you know that? The three things we just gave you can apply to marriage on the earth. In marriage, we can have true intimacy and deep knowledge of another person. And that's one of the reasons marriage is special. We can know someone on a very deep and intimate level. In fact, marriage is often referred to as a covenant. Have you ever heard it referred to as a covenant? Even by non-Christians. Sometimes the world will refer to marriage as a covenant. Because even the world recognizes marriage is special because we can have a deep and committed love relationship with another person. But sadly and tragically in America, 50% of marriages end in divorce. About half of the deep, intimate, loving relationships and marriages that people have in this earth do not last because either one or both of the people involved in the marriage covenant change their minds about each other and they bail on their so-called committed relationship. And this is awful. This is horrible because this is not the way God designed the marriage covenant. What good is a marriage covenant if love and commitment don't last? What good is it? Is it even a covenant if that happens? If there is an exit to the relationship, is it still a covenant? In fact, I would say it this way. That destroys the very definition of the word covenant. There is no exit to a covenant. This is what makes it a covenant. That's the very definition of the word. It means permanent commitment. That's what the word covenant means. And this is tragic because people make vows to each other on their wedding day for better or worse, for richer or poorer. How's it go, Grace? In sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. It's certainly very romantic sounding, isn't it? But if divorce is an option, it's a farce. If there is an exit, it does not matter. Without permanent, no-exits-available commitment, all that marriage means is that they love you today and are committed to you today. But what about tomorrow? Will your spouse be there tomorrow? Will they be in your corner standing by you and with you no matter what, in sickness and in health, in riches and poor, for better or worse, as long as you both shall live tomorrow. See, the Lord just told us he made a new covenant with us. And this covenant will allow us to intimately know him and intimately know his will. It will allow us to be loved and to love our creator. It sounds amazing. It sounds romantic to hear. It sounds incredible. Honestly, it gives me goosebumps to even think that the God of the universe would invite me into a love relationship with him. And today, I am thrilled to know this, and I hope you are as well. But what about tomorrow? Will God still be with me tomorrow? Will he still be in my corner and remain true to me tomorrow? And if not, does it matter if I have his love today? Does it matter if I can know God and know his will today if he can just leave me tomorrow? And the answer, quite simply, is no. It doesn't matter if there's no future assurances. And this right here is the point of the new covenant. God 
is an unchanging person. And the reason he's unchanging is that he's already perfect in every way. And any change in that would cause him to lose some of that perfection. Therefore, God will never change. Why isn't that reassuring? God will never change. He never has to improve. He never has to think better or get better at something. He never has to be reformed, ever. He is perfect in every way, and he's unchangeable. He's also stable. When everything in your life is subject to change, the Lord is the stable foundation for the universe. The universe, all of it, might shift about and change and get worse, and it is, unfortunately. But the foundation it's standing upon never will. Never will. The boat can rock about, but it's anchored to God. Now these three truths that we just mentioned, if they're not enough to give us comfort that God doesn't change, that God is stable, and that the entire universe is upon his unchanging, stable character, then God also tells us that he has made a covenant with us. And I want us to remember what the word covenant means. Listen to the definition again. An agreement between God and his people founded on the love, holy character, and unbreakable promises of God. God's covenant is, by definition, unbreakable by God. Unbreakable. It is based on God's unchangeable nature, number one. Number two, it's based on God's love which came to us while we were the worst we could possibly be, ungodly sinners. Number three, it's based upon God's promises, which could never be broken. Otherwise, God's character would be tarnished, and he wouldn't be God anymore. And it's based upon the blood of Jesus, who was the most precious and costly person there is in existence. The covenant of God is impervious and airtight. When God establishes a covenant with his people, he says to them, I'm never leaving you. Hebrews 6 calls this covenant an anchor for the soul. And I love that term. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. No matter where and how much you bounce about in this life, once you're with God, you are anchored to God. Imagine what sort of comfort you would find in earthly marriage if the marriage covenant was also unbreakable, would you worry about who your spouse was texting on their phone? Would you worry about where they might be when they were away from home? Would you worry that if you said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing in a moment, they would get so upset that they would leave you? No. You would be at peace. Because your spouse could not break their love for you no matter what. And hopefully that truth would cause you to give your spouse the very same love in return because you would want them to also have peace. The very peace that you have, that your love for them will never end. The Lord has taught us that he's never, ever going to leave us. When the Lord God says never, he means never. The only way the covenant can be broken, therefore, is if I leave him. That's the only way this covenant can be shattered. Because he told me he is never, ever leaving me. And the reason he's never leaving me is because his character and his godly attributes are on the line. If God broke his covenant, he would not be God. So he cannot break it, ever. 
And the most powerful statement I believe anyone can ever say to another person is, I am never leaving you. I'm never leaving you. If you remain in this covenant with the Lord, he will always remain with you. He will always be your God and always be your ally. Yes, people will hurt you. You will lose jobs and friends and possessions in this life. People will come in and out of your life like a revolving door. That's sad and tragic, but it's true. So what safety and security do you have in this life if everything and everyone can shift, kind of like it did in 2020, and you can lose anything and everything with almost zero notice? Because that's the reality of the world that we live in. And quite honestly, everyone... We need the Lord always with us in this life. And if you have committed your life to Christ in the covenant, and if you have committed yourself to God's church in the covenant, you are safe and secure in the love of God. He is yours and you are his forever. And he never, ever wants us to change. He will bend over backwards to keep every single one of us with him. And he does. So, what could sure, steadfast, faithful love and God's airtight covenant do for your life? Do you think that would make a difference? If you knew that you had God's love from now until literally forever, because it has changed my life. That truth has changed my life. Do you know anyone else that is guaranteed to not leave you other than the Lord? Do you know anyone else that has promised to never leave you and can back it up like the unchanging rock of Jesus? Do you know anyone who has invested as much into you as God did with the blood of his son? Can you find anyone who, after knowing everything about you from the inside to the outside, still says to you, I love you and I'm never leaving you, besides the Lord Jesus? And if not, here's some application for us today. How close should you stay to the Lord? If you cannot duplicate and replicate that love anywhere else, even get close to it, then how close should you stay to the Lord if he loves you that much? And number two is what sort of love does the Lord deserve from you in return? Think about it. If he has given you this kind of covenantal, faithful, loyal, trustworthy love for the rest of time, what sort of love do you want him to find from your life? Shifting sand? Flaky love? An exit available just in case it gets tough? Isn't the only proper answer that he deserves the very same love and commitment from us? Isn't that the only proper thing to say? Because a covenant is a two-way street. You cannot take the love and commitment from the Lord without giving it back. You must give it back because that's what a covenant means. If, what if the Lord received that very love from us? What if he received the same security and the same peace from his people that he gave to us? What if every single one of us sitting here said the same thing to the Lord? Lord, no matter what, I'm never leaving you. No matter how tough it gets, no matter how thin and thick this life gets, no matter who comes into my life and who leaves my life, I'm never leaving you. What kind of glory and joy would the Lord receive from that type of commitment? Not just a strong declaration of love that's subject to change tomorrow, but an investment of all 
that you have into the Lord so that he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're holding nothing back from this relationship. And this, quite honestly, is the call of following Jesus because Jesus said, renounce everything you have and follow me. I love you that way. Love me that way as well. Renounce everything you have and follow me. So when Jesus should look at our lives, he should see all our time, all our talents, all our money, all our energy, and all our disciplines invested into his relationship with us. And if he did, what do you think he would feel from that? What do you think the Lord would feel from that if that's what he saw from our lives? And as an example, I want you to think about this. How much trust did the Lord have in the Apostle Paul? He could ask Paul to do literally anything for his kingdom because he knew Paul not only would do it, but he would do it with passion, with energy, and with great focus because the one asking it from Paul was in an eternal covenant with Paul. The Lord could never leave Paul, and Paul could never leave the Lord. And this has been the point of our series, Our Family, for us to realize the Lord is never leaving us. If we're in a family of God, we are in the family of God. The Lord has invested his name and his blood into us through the church. And even if everyone in this life leaves you, and they might, the Lord never will. The goal for this lesson today is for the Lord to hear and see the very same covenantal love from us that he gives to us. That we will never leave him either. And we're ready to prove it. Yes, we're going to need his help and we're going to need his grace to accomplish this. But we want the Lord to receive the same faithful, enduring love from us that he gives to us. And he's going to. And I believe, once again, the strongest statement anyone can ever make to a soul is, I'm never leaving you. Wherever you go, whatever happens, whatever comes in and out of my life, no matter how hard this thing gets, I'm yours and you're mine. I'll always be here for you. Guys, the new covenant of God has made our lives so much better. This is life-changing truth today. And more than that, this is the strongest weaponry we have against evil because you know what the devil is seeking to do today? You guys remember the game Red Rover as a kid? You all stand next to each other and hold hands and someone tries to break the link. That's what the devil is trying to do today. He's trying to play Red Rover with our relationship with us and Jesus Christ. He's trying to run through that link. Because he knows if we ever step away from our Lord, we're sitting ducks. And we will accomplish nothing for the kingdom of God. If all he can do is break that link, he wins. But the church is our link to the Lord. The new covenant can only be fulfilled through the church. Locking arms together in unity with our family. That is our link to this Jesus. If you want the unchanging, promised, stable, faithful love of God in your life, you will find it through your commitment to the church. And if you want the Lord to receive a similar love from you that he gives to you, then you will accomplish it together with your family, the church. I hope this has encouraged you today. Let us all say to the Lord today, I'm never leaving you. I'm never leaving you. And then let us get busy waning the world and serving the kingdom of God together. 
Jesus alone is worthy of all your love, worthy of all your life. Are you in an eternal covenant with him today? If you're not, please come speak to us. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for the lesson today on the new covenant, and this is just touching the surface. But thank you for the powerful understanding of how great your love is, how anchored we are to you through Jesus. Father, I want us to change. I don't want us to hear lessons and nod and agree with them and go about our day and our way as if nothing ever came into our mind and hearts. Father, I want this day to be a day that we start anew, fresh, different, based on what you've taught us today. I pray that you would allow this soul to penetrate our mind and our soul and our heart so that we would see how great it is to be with our Lord to love him, and to serve his kingdom for the rest of time. We pray for the food we're about to eat. We thank you for it. We pray that today would be an enriching, edifying, strengthening opportunity for this church to gather together in the name of Jesus. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.